0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. By now you're aware, Georgia got some very good recruiting news yesterday as Jaden Riddell, very impressive tight end from Missouri, four-star, made his announced commitment to to the University of Georgia, you look at the uh, numbers a little deeper here, What you see is number three overall tied in, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite, which typically speaking, what we kind of use around here. You kind of dive into the individual recruiting sites, various rankings of him. I guess one of the sites had him as like only the number five tied in, which kind of weighs down his overall kind of average player rating. But maybe more important than any of that is, uh, according to once again, the 24-7 Sports Composite, this is the number 55 player in the entire country. So this is a massive, massive get for Georgia. And I think in situations like this, it's always really appropriate to kind of do two things at once you know on the one hand the Riddell story here kind of fits into a larger theme around Georgia at the moment which is hey big scavenger hunt this past weekend leading into a massive series of official visits first weekend in June you kind of got Memorial Day weekend kind of in between that where hopefully these Georgia coaches will get a chance to get a little bit downtime I hope that's the case anyway but you know you kind of have This major seismic series of events as it relates to Georgia recruiting. So, on the one hand, Riddell just sort of feels like a continuation of a lot of that. He becomes the third. George committed this particular week, the second tight end. So, George has obviously been very busy in recruiting, and you kind of think about Riddell within that context. But as I said before, when you're talking about somebody who rates as, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite, number fifty-five player in the entire country, who kind of stands right there alongside Landon Thomas, a guy that we've talked about before, as really kind of the best tight end in the entire, you know, country at his particular uh, you know, in his particular class here right now. I think it's important to also kind of pull out and address the Reddell part of this individually within kind of a fishbowl of just itself. And there is no doubt this is a major, major commit being added by Georgia here right now there is a lot to like about this and if you have not taken some time to kind of acquaint yourself with some of the video that's out there of Riddell I'm telling you right now he fits in very well with the kind of athletic tight ends that Georgia has been bringing in over the course of the uh, last few years I would certainly not say he's the next Brock Bowers but when you think about the kind of uh, outsized athleticism that Bowers brought to the tight end position there's a lot I see from Riddell that sort of looks like that style of player the same way that Oscar Delp kind of had that view And by the way more on him in a moment but the, the, the way that Oscar Delp kind of had that look, the way that Lawson Lucky at, has had that look as a part of the 2023 class, that Georgia has just kind of set its sights on, set its targets on, this unique category of tight ends in recent years of guys who just bring a uh, phenomenal level of athleticism to that position and bring that with them to Georgia. And Riddell, I think, is the next in line on all of that. And even in the midst of this what could be a historic run for Georgia recruiting as the finishing touches get put in the 2024 class, taking time to appreciate the individual names and the individual contributors to that class. Like Riddell, probably pretty important. It's worth acquainting yourself with just how good of a player this is. You can read all about him and see plenty of footage on him and things like that if you go check out dognation.com. Really good story from Jeff Sintel about that yesterday. Now, that's the one part of this how good Riddell is individually but as we said before it is also a part of an undeniable trend right now where Georgia is just seemingly picking up a lot of steam and no doubt what the genesis of most of this was this was the commitment a few days ago from the nation's number one prospect the five-star quarterback Dylan Raiola and one of the things I've loved if you're you know paying attention to Dylan on social media is all the cheerleading that he's doing right now for all the other commits that George is getting including being very quick yesterday to kind of jump in and celebrate what Riddell brings to this class in fact I want to show you Dylan Riola here on Twitter uh, enjoying the uh, Riddell commitment you know the phrase that gets used a lot of times is tight and tough and that was kind of the the graphic that our, our friends over at On3 put together for uh, Jade and Riddell uh, great looking uh, image there, great looking uh, graphic there. And Dylan Riola jumped in to celebrate Jaden Merdell by calling Georgia, as he says, tight end university. And if you're a quarterback Riola like Riola, you can certainly see the value in that of, hey, how do I become the best possible quarterback I can be? How do I get the most going on here? obviously it's by having great tight ends to throw to that has clearly worked very well for Stetson Bennett, you know, Brock Bowers has helped make him, you know, an all time great in the annals of Georgia football and SEC football history. And Dylan Riella knows that when he steps on the field and gets a chance to one day compete to be the Georgia starting quarterback, he's going to have a great crop of tight ends to throw to there as well. Uh, Certainly Jaden Riddell being one of those, and he's very happy to celebrate all of that. So that's definitely something I think the Georgia fans should like about the uh, Riddell news from yesterday. But something else that I think you ought to like and ought ought to notice here too is the individual personality that Riddell brings here. And I have to say that this is something I've only recently kind of become acquainted with, become aware of, that apparently Riddell brings a little swagger to that tight end room for Georgia here. Uh, Some Georgia fans were kind of sharing this around yesterday. I'll show you this from a guy called John Tweet Sports on uh, Twitter who – had some like tiktok video of redale doing a seven on seven thing and i took a snapshot of this redale's out there running around doing his you know competing the seven on seven drill while he's got sunglasses on it's almost like something from like a movie from the 80s or something like that he's up there playing football with the sunglasses on and having a good time you know doing that on the seven on seven circuit so he kind of brings a little swagger to the tight end position obviously brings incredible athleticism you you go back look at some of his measurable sprint times and things like that this is a big time athlete here that Georgia brings in and it would seem to be a precursor that more good things are on the way because much the same way a guy like Dylan Raiola on social media as of late has been celebrating every one of these commitments You've also got a good number of uh, Georgia commits who are also kind of foreshadowing what is still yet to come for this 2024 class. In fact, just shortly before Riddell made his announcement, yet had a guy like Nikar on social media. He was definitely fanning the flames for all kinds of big stuff, potentially going down uh, for Georgia. Carr, of course, was here for the scavenger hunt this past weekend. He says, we're about to go up on social media. Gives you a string of those uh, bulldog emojis there. And what's maybe extra interesting about Nikar saying this just ahead of what turned out to be the Riddell commitment is we obviously know that Carr is a high school teammate of Landon Thomas Thomas was a tight end commit to the University of Georgia who flipped to Florida State a lot of folks kind of wonder what was going on there and there was even kind of a wonder and a concern of well how would NICAR react to his high school teammate leaving the Georgia class to join up with Florida State well it sounds like NICAR is just as excited as ever about the things that are happening in Georgia Riddell and all the other big news that's about to uh, come into place here he's clearly foreshadowing a lot of that now I'll also say as a quick aside here that um just because Georgia brings in Riddell I don't see any reason why it necessarily needs to stop recruiting Landon Thomas either I realize that spots are tight and you can't have nothing you certainly can't have a thousand tight ends but I'm also kind of the belief that you sort of recruit best player available here and you know if Landon Thomas sees all the energy that's happening around Georgia and he wants to make the same decision that Jaden Riddell's you know, did, I'd say, let's try to find some room for him here with the dogs, if that is indeed possible. But at the same time, you know, Georgia's also moving on. It didn't slow down for a minute because Thomas decommitted, flipped to Florida State. And so, if Landon Thomas or anybody else wants to be part of this Georgia class, my suggestion to you, would better, you better be jumping on that opportunity quick because we're seeing how fast right now all of these spots are filling up and more Georgia commits predicting more big things to come. I saw this the other day. Uh, Justin Scott's obviously one of the best defensive line in the entire country, a big time price target for UGA. He's obviously uh, nearing his decision time here coming up. Well, another Georgia wide receiver commit we just heard from NICAR a moment ago. Nitro Tuggle was also out there calling his shot about what Georgia might be eventually able to do with uh, Justin Scott here as well. I'll show you Nitro on Twitter when Justin Scott was predicting that he was getting very close to making his commitment announcement, uh, Nitro Tuggle had his own prediction to say that uh, Scott's going to be a dog as well. So Georgia fans, I think, are enjoying all of this right now. There is so much energy around this 2024 class. Guys like Jaden Riddell are really recruits worth celebrating, and they also seem to be the next in what is like to be you know a pretty large snowball starting to form here in terms of the overall momentum. But Before we move on, I want to kind of think about one more thing here just for a moment. And I went back and tried to find this audio. Over the course of years, I've just sort of lost some audio. You know, just over the course of time, you sort of have a little bit of leakage with uh, clips that you used to have. You just don't have them anymore. You know, you go back a few years ago. You can find examples of Kirby Smart, you know, taking kind of like tough questions from the media. Hey, why don't you throw the tight ends more? What's going on? you got these tight ends, but you're not really using them. You know, what is the deal about that? And Kirby Smart was having to sort of fight back on that of you know, you know, basically trying to defend the program for it, why it wasn't using tight ends more. I mean, can you? Like this was during the kirby smart era this was like a few years ago this was not you know sometime in the black and white era or the you know four by three aspect ratio this era this was only just a few years ago like, like this wasn't that long ago that kirby smart was having to like fight back against the media who were criticizing him for not throwing two tight ends more and a lot of georgia fans were at, the reason why the media was asking kirby smart that because a lot of fans were asking the media how come georgia's not throwing the tight ends more this was a big issue for this program and Kirby Smart was having to defend against that and fight back against that. Can you imagine how things have changed? I mean, can you really take time to appreciate how things have changed? Obviously, we give a lot of the credit to Todd Hartley for this. He has brought these tight ends in, and I think he's also been a very strong advocate for the tight ends in terms of making sure that, you know, previously been Todd Munkin, now it'll be Mike Bobo, that the offensive coordinator stands ready to use these tight ends in games and make them a focal point of the Georgia offense, and that's clearly working out very well. But it's a total transformation and perception, right? I mean, you go back to you know, a couple of cycles ago when Oscar Delp came into the Georgia program. Delp, who I think, at least in terms of state of Georgia tight ends, about as good as we've seen, right? I mean, big-time athlete, big-time capable playmaker. I think Delp's in line for a very good year here this year. And when he talked about why it was that he came to Georgia – I mean you're left to to remark about just how much the overall landscape of things how it's changed and the at one point in time maybe negative perception that people had that that recruits had about the tight end spot here at Georgia all of a sudden now it's got an open for business sign as big as all outdoors and Jaden Riddell and everybody else seems to want to jump in line to be a part of it. I love what Delp said when he talked about his decision to commit to Georgia because I think the words that he used probably echo why guys like Riddell and Lawson Lucky and Pierce Spurlin after that have kind of made the same decision. This is what Delp said a couple of years ago.
1: I mean, it really just came down to where I'm going to get developed the most and uh, have the, the best opportunity to make a name for myself and really kind of Get the ball, and uh, I think that uh, Georgia has developed offensive line, developed defense, and every every week in practice, I'm really going to be uh, getting reps against the best players in the country. And I think it's really going to make me a better player in the long run. And uh, kind of, I love what they're doing with Bowers so far this year, and uh, how they're going to use us together in the future. I think is really going to be a cool thing.
0: Do not miss that. Oscar Delp said that Brock Bauer's success became a proof of concept. It wasn't a theoretical thing of, hey, we need you so bad, and if we get you, we'll use you. No, it was, hey, watch what this guy is doing. When Delp said that, it was reflecting on the 2021 season, Brock Bauer's first season at Georgia. Watch what he's doing. You can be next in line on that. Well, since then, Brock Bauer's game has only gone to a higher level, and guys like Oscar Delp only have more I guess ambition to be the next in line to be able to do that but the point of playing the clip is not what it meant for Oscar Delp but the fact that Oscar Delp's words there I think stand as a template for why Pierce Burland lost and Lawson Lucky made the decision they made why guys like uh, Jane Riddell made the decision uh that that, that he made uh, yesterday that this has really become the destination spot for tight ends Todd Hartley calls them tight end tough What Todd Hartley is right now is very tough to beat on the recruiting trail. No one's adding more elite tight ends than Georgia. No one's using them more effectively. And it's been a wonderful recipe for back-to-back national championships. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. We are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, 945, 1st and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon on Athens, Sports Radio 960 The Rev. And we are available as a podcast wherever you find them Apple, Spotify, everything else in between, including posting the show each day at the worldfamousdognation.com. So happy to have you with us for all of that. And so thankful to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp who make today's show possible. You know, they are your source. For Georgia divorce. And I realize that is not a fun conversation. I really, really do. And sometimes it seems like summertime kind of brings about more of this kind of stuff. You know, maybe you kind of slow down a little bit. Maybe you got some vacation time coming up. And, you know, sometimes situations like that kind of exasperate what is kind of always been going on, maybe below the surface. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that flippantly. I say that with, you know, great sadness because a relationship coming to an end is not an easy thing. That is a painful thing for many of you. And While I wish that I could just snap my fingers and make that go away, make that disappear, I can't do that. Sometimes in life, reality just sort of has to be confronted. It just sort of has to be, you know, faced head on. And our folks at Meriwether and Tharp can make that process a little easier for you because they want to walk with you through it. And when you go through what might be the most challenging scenario you face in your life thus far, having someone who can be there with you and be a strong advocate for you, that's just really, really valuable, especially someone who maybe can lean on the experience they've gained from having been through this thousands of times. And when it comes to the combined experience for all the attorneys there at Meriwether and Tharp, that's truly the kind of institutional knowledge they bring into all this earned, lived experience of how the divorce process has played out and how it can play out for you and how you can leverage the law to your benefit to get the most out of your situation. Because all of this is about making the most and the best of the time that we have. And putting yourself in a position to have a successful next season of your life is just so important. And the decisions you make right now, including the decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp, is going to help you do that. So have that initial consultation with one of those Meriwether and Tharp attorneys. Let them hear your story and then let you hear the ways in which they can get to work for you and the ways in which they can kind of lay a foundation and some groundwork for uh, everything to kind of fall into place for you. So find them online. It's the com. That's the com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. All right, a little bit of housekeeping here. And then we're going to get ready to roll on. First of all, it's Terrence Edwards coming up in a couple of moments. Always love having Terrence here on a Thursday. We're going to look forward to doing that here in a couple of minutes' time. Also, many of you are aware of this. We are live today, normal show just like always, live tomorrow on Friday. Once again, normal show just like always. We will not have a show on Memorial Day. Typically speaking, there are like four holidays that we don't typically do a show for. Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day, Memorial Day, Fourth of July—pretty much any other Monday through Friday holiday—we typically do a show for. There are about four like that that we don't typically do a show for, uh, and so one of those will be on Monday. Hopefully, you're getting ready to enjoy some time with your family and friends there too. Kind of an unofficial kickoff to the summer, as we obviously, you know, have a lot on our mind related to those who paid the ultimate price and 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 you know made the ultimate sacrifice for the country that we all love. So we'll be doing that on Monday, and then the rest of the week, Tuesday through Friday, I'm going to be on vacation. Now, we have put together, I think, a great collection of shows. Many of you are a part of that. You've shared some bold predictions with us. We're going to do kind of a bold predictions theme. Next week, we're going to have more on that here coming up in just a little bit, too, kind of setting the stage what next week's going to look like. So that is going to be a lot of fun. But just go ahead and kind of be aware. There'll be no first in 15 next week because of the fact we will not be live. But everything else will pretty much be normal. And if something big happens with the SEC spring meetings taking place in Destin, Florida, or obviously maybe more pertinent, something big happening as it relates to UGA recruiting, of course, the Dog Nation team will be ready to go live and talk to you and, and, and get you up to date on all that. We won't be hitting the live news, the in-the-moment news during next week's shows because we've obviously pre-recorded them, but we will be back the following Monday to cover all of that. So just want to give you that little bit of heads up there on that. Now, speaking of enjoying some time, uh, many of you enjoy the world's largest outdoor cocktail party as so we transition to our around the doghouse here today. There is new information on the cocktail party and what I believe is kind of new life for the idea that the game could remain in Jacksonville, we at least know this. Announcement came from both Georgia and Florida yesterday that the game in Jacksonville, which the uh, the official term of the contract ends with this year's game, but there was an option year in place for the next two years. That's 2024 and 2025. And both schools had until June 30th, I believe that's the day, June 30th to announce their decision to extend or not. Well, yesterday it did come out that the game will remain in Jacksonville for another two years. So this year in 2023, and then contract extension years, the option years that were a part of the initial term of the contract for 2024 and 2025. I'm going to show you what Josh Brooks had to say about this yesterday in the official release that came out from Georgia. This of course, the UG Athletic Director. He says, we're pleased with the decision to exercise the option that will keep the game in Jacksonville for 2024 and 2025. So this is kind of a part of the initial term of that contract. This is not a new contract. This is just the option year that was available over the original contract. Sometimes you see this with like player contracts, things like that. You know, there's, there's a team option or a player option. Well, in this particular case, the two schools involved in this long-term deal with Jacksonville had the option to extend if they wanted to. They had the power to make that decision. Brooks goes on to say, we look forward to discussions that I'm sure will continue over the next couple of years exploring all the options for 2026 and beyond. We continue to be appreciative of the working relationship we have with the University of Florida and the city of Jacksonville. That is Georgia Athletic Director Josh Brooks. All right, so let's talk about kind of a lot of... I guess, offshoots of this topic here for a moment. I think the most important thing that you hear Brooks say there is, is that with this extended for two years, all it really does is probably buy time for both Georgia and Florida to continue their negotiations with Jacksonville about, I believe, trying to make sure they get the very best and biggest possible deal if this game is going to remain in Jacksonville going forward. And one of the things that we've seen kind of come out of the city here. Over the course of the last, you know, a couple of weeks or so is, I think, kind of a renewed commitment to keep this game mayor. They have indicated the city has, you know, the outgoing mayor and even, I guess, some of the, you know, the the politics around the new mayor that's coming in they have indicated just how important they believe this to be. There's also been a statement being made in one of the news stories that's been out there lately from the Jacksonville Jaguars organization, you know, someone within the organization saying that they fully understand that the biggest game that takes place in Jacksonville every year is not a Jaguars game, it is a it is the Georgia Florida game that the Jacksonville Jaguars recognize just how important the Georgia Florida game is to Jacksonville because of all the money that it brings in. This is important because the stadium there in Jacksonville, has changed its name a million times, I believe it's what T I A A F or whatever it is now, you know, it used to be known as the Gator Bowl, it's changed its name a thousand times. The The stadium that the Jacksonville Jaguars call home is due for some renovation. So on the basis of the fact that the Georgia-Florida game is going to be played there 2024 and 2025, that sets up, I believe, 2026 and 2027 to be the two year span in which the renovations will take place. There have been some debate and some sort of muddled reporting about which years we're going to be the uh the the renovation years but the extension being announced for georgia florida kind of pushes that jacksonville stadium renovation i believe to 2026 and 2027 now here's what i think i think jacksonville the city here would love to get an extension in place with georgia florida prior to those renovations beginning i think they want georgia and florida to be major stakeholders in the discussions about the new stadium complex and how it's going to look and how the river will be transformed i think they want that and obviously what georgia and florida seem to want here is the uh best possible deal they can get which i think they feel like they have a lot of leverage to be able to do that now a couple of more points here just for a moment it has been discussed that, well, in that 2026 and 2027, while the stadium is being, being renovated, that Georgia and Florida would then go home and home in Athens and uh, Gainesville, and maybe both sides, or certainly at least the Georgia side of this, they may decide they like the game being home and home so much that at that point, they don't want to go back to Jacksonville anymore. Well, there was some interesting reporting the other day from Andy Staples from The Athletic, who Kind of suggested something a little bit different than that. The notion that hey, actually, what you real, what you don't maybe realize is, is that because of how much money they make from playing this game in Jacksonville, because of how expensive it is to go on the road and play a road game, and even you know hosting a home game, you know, has its own kind of uh, debits to go along with that that actually Georgia and Florida may actually like the neutral site game more than people realize from the financial standpoint of this. And it's not a given that in those two years which the Jacksville Stadium is being renovated, that Georgia and Florida actually will be home and home. They may shop it around to Orlando or Atlanta or even like a Tampa or Miami. Certainly not a guarantee that's going to happen, but it is a suggestion that the two schools have really kind of gotten used to the easy check they get for playing in Jacksville without any of the hassle of having to travel to a true road game or host a, a home game it's just a lot more lucrative to play this game in Jacksville. so the overall bottom line takeaway that i think you should have on this and listen i don't mind telling you when i have an obvious bias on something i try to make sure you're aware of that i want to be honest with you and you can judge the value of my words based on the perspective that i'm coming from i love the world's largest outdoor cocktail party i want this game to remain in Jacksonville. so I don't mind telling you what my wishes are on this. Many of you feel different. I actually respect your opinion on this. I think it's one of those things that reasonable people can disagree about. But as someone who has kind of a vested interest in this discussion, I'd love to see tradition prevail. This game remain in Jacksonville. Apart from that, as objective as I'm capable of being, I think it's been interesting to watch the evolution here where a few months ago, I was sort of of the belief that because the SEC was about to announce some major schedule changes, at the very least they're doing away with divisions. They're bringing two new teams into the league. Uh, there are going to be fewer permanent opponents than there have been in the past. We don't yet know. Is it a nine-game conference slate with three permanent opponents? Is it an eight-game conference slate with one permanent opponent? We don't know exactly the shape of the Georgia schedule yet. We're going to find out that, out that maybe next week. But because we at least know there's a lot of change coming to the SEC – I thought this was just one more change we would likely have to endure one more thing we would likely have to get ready to say goodbye to no more cocktail party I gotta tell you over the course of the last month or so watching some of the news coming out of Jacksonville the 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 value the people in that city put on this game understanding more about the finances and how lucrative it is for both Georgia and Florida to play this game there I think Georgia Florida and Jacksonville has a lot more life left in it than I probably realized and if I were to make a prediction now, my prediction is the game actually probably does stay in Jacksonville post-stadium renovation. How long into the future that goes, I don't know. But I no longer think this game is on life support. I no longer think the cocktail party is um, is on the verge of being canceled. I've kind of changed my opinion on that a little bit, and I guess I've reserved the right to change my mind again. But I just think new information has kind of led to a little bit of an evolution of my thought. Now, the big cloud that hangs over all of this is the fact that we know that Kirby Smart does not prefer that. I joked about this on video yesterday when we went live for the Riddell announcement and then the Georgia Florida thing dropped while we were on the air that it's certainly conspicuous that in the release that Georgia put out yesterday there was no quote from Kirby Smart whether it commonly would be about any kind of news related to the Georgia football program. I'm not saying smart was you know off in a corner pouting i'm just saying that people know his opinion on this and try to pretend like this was a happy thing would be somewhat disingenuous and so therefore smart wasn't quoted at all but it's also important to note that while we can certainly point to plenty of moments like the sec network last summer or other instances where smart has been very vocal about his desire to change this game and make it home and home There are other moments in which he's kind of spoken a little bit more softly about this topic uh, when he's been more than happy to kind of recognize how valuable it is for a number of different reasons. I'm going to give you an example of this from like last October where Smart was probably taking a little softer tone related to the future of the cocktail party than maybe he's often taken in the past. And so for the full context of exactly what is at stake here, Smart's desire to play it at home and home while also acknowledging the value of this game in Jacksonville for both traditional and monetary reasons. Uh, this is what Kirby Smart said about this last October.
1: Yeah, there's really quality benefits to both. And you guys, I get it. You want to make a story, you need a story. Everybody wants to talk about it. It's really not a big debate for me. It's been made really big by the media because they've made it out to be a really big deal do I, I i enjoy the pageantry of going down there playing i enjoyed playing there as a player i enjoy tradition i enjoy i enjoy all those things um when it comes down to it there's a the very very basic element of everything comes back to number one money and number two recruiting and getting good players i firmly believe that we'll, we'll be able to sign better players by having home and home because we'll have more opportunities to get them to campus um, but I also think there's a financial factor that factors into that um, with, with having the game there and being able to make more money for the university possibly there. So you have to weigh both of those and make really good decisions. But I promise you, it's not, I have not thought about that one second since the start of the season. And I'm not going to think about it for one second because I got to worry about coaching our team. And I'm not fighting the fight. In the public forum, I'm not fighting a fight for anything. I'm worried about our team and us playing well and how we block and tackle and what plays we call and how we play special teams. That's just not a priority for me where that game is right now.
0: So bottom line, here's the blunt question. Will George of the athletic department choose money over the wishes of Kirby Smart? The honest answer is... I think it depends on how much money we're talking about. And that's what we're going to find out in the months to come. Just how much is Jacksonville willing to pay Georgia to be a marquee game in a brand new stadium coming up a few years from now, or at least a very, very newish looking stadium a couple of years from now. So stay tuned for more on that. That is Around the doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily presented by Merryweather and Tharp. Before we're done, there was something in ESPN uh, this morning, ESPN.com. It actually wasn't even that new. I just Sorry for the first time today that kind of caused me to roll my eyes here a little bit uh so we'll uh, talk about why that is if you're a Georgia fan I think you may join me on this and speaking of Georgia fans before we're done I'm gonna let you hear from a handful of Georgia fans here today as a way to set the stage for something really fun we're gonna do next week we're gonna do a little bit of that before we are done today plus uh Greg Sankey speaking of the idea of change to the SEC Sankey has kind of spoken out again about the you know kind of plan and strategy that was in place for the sec as it recently kind of pursued some conference expansion we'll talk about what this means for the future going forward before we're all said and done today there as well but for now on everything it relates to georgia football including what there is to like about a brand new commit let's talk about it all with terrence edwards here today on dog nation daily presented by Meriwether and Thar. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, I'd talk to you, Terrence Edwards about including a great commit to the program yesterday. But, Terrence, before that, I know we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, you know, kind of the future of Georgia, Florida, and Jacks. Well, you've kind of expressed your opinion. You wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of a rotational type thing moving forward there. Well, at least for now, we found out yesterday that this game is going to remain in Jacksonville for a couple of more years at least 2024 and 2025 we'll find out after some stadium expansion what the long-term future for the cocktail party is but as I told our folks a little earlier I'm actually a little surprised by how this has kind of evolved and developed over the last month or so I thought we were maybe heading for a cancellation of the cocktail party that the wishes of Kirby Smart the winds of change in the SEC it was just going to dictate this game no longer be played at the neutral site but since then I have I've Been a little bit, as I said before, surprised by what's kind of taking place here where this game apparently has a lot more life left in it in Jacksonville than I initially uh, realized. I guess what's your reaction here that uh, for a couple more years anyway, game going to be played there at the Neutral Site venue?
2: Well, you know, I'm kind of not shocked. I think this is uh, a venue that everyone likes, even though I may uh, contest that I still would like to see the rotation. I would like to see the games played on, on um, home and home, especially, um, but I'm not shocked that they're going to continue. And at the end of the day, be you know it, it's all about money. So somehow, some way, uh, I assume both schools got the money that they wanted out of the deal. And going forward, I think it's, uh, if if Jacksonville get the stadium upgrades that they need, is probably going to continue to stay in Jacksonville. But, but I still think uh, and I wish that we could get a home and home. Because I just think this game is so fantastic that uh, the home crowd uh, should get opportunity to be the home crowd. It's split in Jacksonville, but the rivalry. I would love to see uh, the Bulldogs go down to to Gainesville. I would love to see the Gators come up back.
0: So the truth of the matter is about to be more complicated than I'm about to describe it as being. But I'm going to ask it this way anyway. What do you think about the idea that you know Georgia might? go against kirby smart's wishes kirby smart has made it clear in the past that he'd like for this game to be a home and home now in the audio clip we played earlier he's also kind of at times made it clear that the issue is somewhat complicated and there's benefits to george for playing in jacksonville and he's fine to acknowledge that but at just sort of like the face value level you know kirby has said he'd like for the game to be home and home and at least for two more years georgia's still not going to do that and then beyond that they may still not do that they may just go against kirby's wishes because they're going to make more money by playing the game and keeping the game in, in Jacksonville. what do you make of the idea that at least in some fashion of discussion here georgia may choose money over the wishes of kirby smart how do you feel about that
2: oh uh, you no know, if, if that's the way it is i you know it's that's what makes the world turn, money. And I think Georgia's still in the business of making money, especially for the university, especially for the sports. Uh, to be able to uh, pay for all the sports that does, that does not make money. We all know that football takes care of most of the other sports. Most of the other sports are, it's in the red. So I kind of understand it from that aspect, but from Kirby's aspect, I, I kind of agree with him, you know. there's it, it, a lot of times, you know, Kirby usually get what he what he wants. Um, so in this, I think money still rules the world, and we we're gonna continue to put money over everything because that's that's what we have normally done. Um, but I'm with 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 Coach Smart. I would love to see the game be played on campus.
0: And you know, if you want to kind of play this out a little further, you know, it's like. Let's stipulate that Kirby's right, that there would be a benefit to recruiting to have more recruits visiting for the Georgia-Florida game when it was in Athens. Okay, so let's say Kirby's right about that. But I guess the flip side of that is, hey, you like having that money because, I mean, I feel like I see Mike Bobo in Arizona all the time, right? It's like, that's not cheap. You know, you fly out there to Arizona, you go out there and visit Dylan Raiola or all the recruits that you visit while you are doing something like that. There's obviously a lot of expense related to that and my understanding is these coaches are never told no about any kind of trip like that. They either want to take, feel like they need to take, they just get a chance to do that. Or think about a guy like Todd Hartley. We're going to talk about Jaden Riddell in a moment. A guy like Hartley who just keeps winning these recruiting battles over and over and over again. You know, it seems like Georgia's always able to dig deep and find the money to pay him so he doesn't have to leave. You know, Glenn Schumann didn't have to go be an NFL coordinator uh, this off season because Georgia paid him big bucks to keep him right here and over and over again it seems like you know that kind of shows up where you know not only does Georgia have the money but they seem to use it for the right reasons holding on to good coaches creating you know frictionless recruiting opportunities so if there is a benefit to playing Georgia Florida in, in Athens for the recruiting part of it there is also admittedly a benefit to having all this money too is there not
2: oh most definitely you know Brian uh B.A. the old saying is uh it takes money to make money yeah and uh, so we're, we're if we're going to be able to, you know, be the leading school spending how many millions on recruiting, we got to be able to fund those recruiting visit trips. So uh, I understand from that standpoint, and I, I'm sure Kirby does as well that we we are spending money in all the ways that you have asked for. But for us to continue to spend that money, we have to continue to play this game here. This part of where that money comes from. So I understand from the university standpoint, and I also understand from Kirby's standpoint as well.
0: So moving on to a different topic. Yesterday, George got some good news with Jaden Riddell, four-star tight end from Missouri, who made his pledge to the Dogs. This is a big-time recruit, like 55 in the country. You know, right there with Landon Thomas is kind of the best tight end. And, I know a lot of times you have to kind of dive in and see some film of these guys. Have you had much chance to see much of Riddell yet? And if you have, what do you think he brings the table here for Georgia, that tight end spot?
2: Oh, I've watched the two tight ends that we just uh, got committed, and I've enjoyed watching both of those guys. Uh, I mean, if you just turn on their tape, you just watch the first two plays, and that's all you need to see is how explosive they are. Uh, I think that's the route that Todd Hartley is. That's gone, and he's went out and got those type of players that they're not just uh, blocking tight ends, per se. There's guys that could vertically stretch the football field, and both of those guys uh, that we just got committed fixed that mold. And Rydell, I just watched on Twitter where he just went and dominated a 707 yeah. event
0: 7 Wearing sunglasses uh, you know, while he was doing it, Terrence.
2: Right, right. So you, you go out there with sunglasses on, and you go out and dominate an event, that's kind of – disrespectful to the defensive back, like, man, we, and we can't stop him. So he, he is a talent that I thought this whole time after losing Landon Thomas that I wanted because I saw his talent. And I assumed, uh, as we were speaking last week, he definitely would be one of the guys that Dylan Ryo brought with him. Uh, so I love nice. the two tight ends uh, that we, we committed. Uh, Todd Holland just continues being the recruiting genius that he is, and congratulations to him.
0: Yeah, he looks like the villain in, like, an 80s high school movie. Like, he looks like he ought to be in, like, Cobra Kai beating up Daniel LaRusso or something like that. Like, like when you're out there playing seven-on-seven seven the sunglasses on, the curly locks flowing, like, that's the, kind of the vibe that he's giving off to me right there.
2: Oh, most definitely. That's, that's the swagger that he brings, nice. and that's the swagger that he plays with. I mean, if you watch his film, and they line him everywhere up on the field, the X, the Z, the slots. Uh, the 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 tax tight end like he lines up all over the field and um, and I don't want to compare anybody to Brock but that mold that Brock is right now those are the type of tight ends that that Todd Hartley is going after.
0: Well, let me ask you about that part of it because obviously you're a wide receivers coach and yet you've also worked with some tight ends you know famously Eric Gilbert and guys like that but I'm kind of curious from your perspective how you have seen the tight end position evolve where it seems like because of guys like Riddell and certainly because of guys like Brock Bowers and, as you mentioned, other tight ends that George has kind of gone after, that the line of distinction between what's a tight end and what's a wide receiver, it just seems like it gets blurred more and more year after year because of athletes like what we're talking about here with Riddell. Like, what have you seen from the tight end position kind of becoming more like a wide receiver position the way we would have considered that in the past?
2: You just think about the game has changed. Back uh, 20, 25 years ago, it was more of a running attack. You know, you needed that that extra tight end to bring to be that extra offensive lineman. Ally Darnell Washington. That's why he was so special. So you had those blocking big tight ends that was not the great vertical pass catcher. But the game has changed right now. You don't see that inline blocking anymore. But because of you, now you're throwing bubble screens or you're throwing the RPOs to kind of offset if the. Number in the box dictate to throw an RPO. They're throwing RPOs. If it dictates to run the football. They're gonna run it. We call that a light box. So you don't have to have that big blocking tight end anymore. But what we are have went to is a, per se, a bigger wide receiver that could play tight end that has the the vertical movement that wide receiver has. So, I mean, you got Jason Kelsey and that that yeah. type of way the NFL is going with those tight ends. This is the way the game is played now. Cal Pitts type of. Uh, tight ends. Now, Brock Bowers. If you have guys that are just not in-line blockers anymore, you're having guys that are been able to line up all over the field and be valuable pieces to an offense. Just not a inline blocker anymore because we just we do not play football that way
0: anymore. I think that's a really good description, and you've probably noticed as well, you know, the energy, the excitement that exists for Georgia. Three commits this week. You've got recruits out there calling their shot that more big names are on the way. Obviously, Dylan Raiola generates a lot of this, but Terrence, do you get the sense right now that what Georgia fans seem to feel like they see going on, which is, hey, this may end up being the best class that Kirby Smart has had, and it may, statistically speaking, end up being measurably the best recruiting class of all time. I know those are lofty expectations, and obviously, you know, it doesn't take much to sort of get folks kind of thinking big dreams when it comes to recruiting. But right now it seems like Georgia's in play for a lot of that here at the moment.
2: Most definitely. I mean, we've just got a punter that's committed. Yeah. So we, we got specialty guys that want to be a part of this recruiting class. And Coach uh, Kirby is going out, you know, getting punters committed. I haven't watched his film yet, which I will. I'm not go discriminate against the the specialty guys, I like so going it. To watch this fam as well, but you know this class is shaping up. Could be possibly on paper, you know, one of his his better class, and that's saying a lot. So, I mean, it just seems like uh, the receivers that we had this past weekend just had a great time. Uh, I still think it's going to be hard to pull Jeremiah Smith away from Ohio State. Yeah, uh, but we're going to do our best. Coach Coach and Company is going to kick every rock, and he's never going to leave anything unturned to try to win in recruiting battles. And I just think, you know, having a number one quarterback in the fold is going to help, and just winning is going to help as well.
0: Yeah, I was kind of laughing about Drew Miller, the punter commit the other day. In a lot of ways, that's one of the most difficult recruitments that Georgia's probably ever had because the current punter is on social media all the time joking about the fact that he never gets to play. Like he doesn't get to go out there and kick because the Georgia offense won't let him do it. And so now you've got another big time punter kind of lining up to be a part of the program, even though the current punter's like, hey, I'm just staying on the sideline the whole game. I'm not even getting a chance to play. So it's kind of a funny thing there, but obviously Drew Miller uh, comes in because you always want to have that good punter kind of waiting in the wings
2: oh most definitely punter i mean you just think about the Tennessee game last year yeah uh, that punt that we had was a, a a big part of that game and the punt probably just had one play but that 70 yard punt that ended up on the one yard line or whatever that was a big play in that game and, uh we don't think that especially is a football players a lot of people but uh that's one third of the of the game if you don't have a good snapper holder kicker that could Can determine games, and just look at Florida State in the early '90s before they broke through. It was just a a running joke they was going to be wide right. So kickers and snappers and holders, those guys are uh, very important pieces of the game. But that is funny. The kicker on Twitter saying he doesn't get to play very much. Yeah, and that's a good thing. That's a good (laughs) thing. That is a good thing.
0: All right, so that's a fun conversation. Let me finish with something that's a bit less fun, but I'm curious about your opinion. Obviously. The news this week The Marcus Rosemary Jackson became the latest Georgia football player to have a little bit of a speeding driving issue, arrested on a, on a speeding charge and some reckless driving type stuff. And, you know, Terrence, here's the sense that I get from hearing from a lot of Georgia fans this week. Like, on the one hand, I don't know that anybody's all that eager to come down too heavy and, you know, you know, overly punitive on one Georgia player like this. You know, Georgia fans don't necessarily want to do that. But on the other hand, they are, I think, genuinely concerned. A large number of them are. And it's not the PR thing of, oh, it's a bad look for Georgia. I think they're genu- genuinely kind of concerned about the Georgia's players' safety. You know, if, if the words are out, if, if if the reports that are out there are, are true, that, you know, Rosemary Jackson was driving, you know, 90-something miles an hour on a road that was not anywhere near that kind of speed limit, obviously, and kind of weaving in and out of traffic, like, that's dangerous. And and, and it's certainly concerning to think that, that the previous things that have gone on here at Georgia haven't caused a player like this to to, to realize that you're, you're making a very risky decision for yourself and for the other people around you by doing that. So, you know, Terrence, I think everybody right now is trying to figure out, like, what do you do about this? Like, how do you properly convey this message? Because clearly something is not being fully understood here. And, you know, you're a dad, you're a coach, you're a player. You know, you've got a lot of... Uh, I guess, ways in which a story like this might impact you. Like, what do you make of what's gone on here?
2: I think it's the old, old saying that it's not going to happen to me. Uh, even though you just witnessed uh, three close associates, uh, two passed, and now Jalen Carter is going through a lawsuit. Uh, you, you was there. You understand the trauma that it caused. A lot of families. And the old adage is, oh, it won't happen to me. Well, I don't think that family and those families thought it would happen to their loved ones as well. And not just you. Like, an uh, innocent person could be driving. If you go going that high rate of speeds and you could just tap someone's vehicle, or you just could lose control, and your life has changed forever. So I, I just think, like, when you got firsthand knowledge, that's just, that is on the player. That has nothing to do with coaches mark that has nothing to do with the university it's on that person making bad decisions when you have seen firsthand what it can do to families for reckless driving so i i just don't understand the thought process to do this and i know we've all talked about yeah. what we have done at that certain at that age and we all in athens i have been a victim as well of driving recklessly on loop 10 like so i i, I get it and understand but you just witnessed two loved ones lose their life off of senseless reckless driving i just don't i just don't understand and Marcus is a really really good young man yeah every time i go there he's very respectful yeah. to me and talk to him talk to me and so i just don't understand his thinking i just needed to get through these young people's heads that you know this is this is not good. Like, this is not good. This speeding can hurt people, and we have seen it. So I just hope from this day forward, everyone in that organization just understands. You just got to make better decisions.
0: No, Terrence, I think that's really wise, and I appreciate you saying what you said for sure. And obviously, you're working out there with uh, great receivers all the time. And I saw a photo of you on uh, social media the other day. You're out there uh, training and getting folks going, and you got a great collection of players there with you. So for people who want – what you're doing this time of year with the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. How can they get in touch with you?
2: Oh, you can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy.
0: Terrence, great stuff. I appreciate your time. We'll look forward to talking to you soon right here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Weather and Thought. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I think that Terrence, what he says there is really true. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this. I feel like we talked about it plenty yesterday, but... It is just really hard sometimes to convince anyone. We, we think about older person talking to a younger person, but sometimes it's hard to convince anybody that hey, you know, driving a car comes with more risk than you realize because there's a certain extent to which if we process the full risk we take every time we drive a car, then we probably wouldn't drive cars. Like there's an element of which that you have to kind of automate your thinking because, you know, you'd just be frozen. You you you'd have a hard time actually going out there and 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 driving in a relaxed manner, that would allow you to actually operate the vehicle if you fully considered all of the risk and all that kind of stuff. We sort of have to automate certain levels of our thinking on that. And I'll tell you this: yesterday I was leaving here and I was in a hurry. I was trying to get to a, had an event with my kids last night, and it's one of those things where I get ready to get on the, the the highway here, and I probably wasn't paying attention as well as I could. And you know that noise that sometimes you have in your car. Like I've only recently had a car that has some of these like sort of newfangled things. Uh, but it kind of does that beeping noise when you're getting too close to the car in front of you. And I just sort of realized, that I put a lot of faith and trust in my car, right? It, like, it beeps when I get too close to the car in front of me. It sort of starts beeping if I start weaving in and out of the lane. And I think you just sort of convince yourself that your car is kind of this magic, you know, fortress that nothing bad can happen while you're in the car because they've gotten so technologically advanced and they seem so safe. But obviously, accidents still happen all the time that we just convince ourselves. I did this when I was young for sure but I feel like I probably still do this now sometimes I convince myself I'm a little safer than I actually am and maybe we all need to just sort of stop and appreciate the fact that the worst case scenario you've heard about somebody behind the wheel of a car it could all happen to all of us and so maybe that goes beyond just the Georgia players but uh certainly hope that we don't have to talk about this kind of thing in the news anytime soon especially in light of some of what has happened here now with that said we'll get ready to transition to cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean I will be gone next week I will not be on a royal caribbean cruise so i do have a nice weekend cruise slated for a little bit later on this summer next week just kind of stepping away from here for a little while and looking forward to doing that but having something like a great cruise to look forward to from our friends at royal caribbean it just makes the summertime more, enjo- more enjoyable i know many of you have your own royal caribbean cruise experiences you're very excited about and i love that i love making those memories and i love the anticipation of something great like that like last night you know we were kind of sitting around and sometimes my kids and I would like to watch some like YouTube videos the ship we're going to be on or some of the stuff that Royal Caribbean puts out of kind of just getting excited about what's going on there that sense of anticipation is just always great and so I want you to have that feeling yourself and so I want you to reach out to Jessica Slater now Jessica's a travel agent She was specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. It's kind of a recommendation of, hey, when you're making your Royal Caribbean cruise bookings, uh, trust Jessica because a great travel agent will make a wonderful Royal Caribbean cruise experience even better. So you can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And she's got you covered on all of that today. And get ready for a great three-night, four-night, seven-night, whatever option you think is best for you. A wonderful Royal Caribbean cruise to enjoy. I think you'll be really glad that you did that. All right, so let's do this. Let's uh, go through our Cruiser on the SEC couple of stories here. I saw an interesting quote from Greg Sankey the other day that I wanted to read here, where Greg Sankey was on the Greg McElroy podcast, whatever that is called, uh, that ESPN puts out. And Sankey was kind of talking about the fact that his expansion of the SEC is so much better and so much more sensible than what the Big Ten is doing, bringing in... USC, UCLA going far out west to bring them in. Sankey says, hey, what we're doing by comparison is a lot better overall and a lot less tacky than this you know, land grab that the Big Ten is a part of. Let me read the quote from Sankey, who says, there is something still for us from a geographical standpoint. I've had branding specialists say you could do what Kentucky Fried Chicken did and use KFC, meaning you don't have to be the Southeastern Conference anymore. He says, but that's not really who we are. When we expanded, we added 95 miles basically to our travel. Uh, and he says that's our longest trip. is shorter than the shortest trip that the L.A. schools are taking the Big Ten. We are still educational entities. We are still moving people from class to class. So, Greg Sankey trying to make it be known here that, listen, when we expanded and brought in Texas and Oklahoma, all we did was slightly expand the geographic footprint of the SEC. And we don't feel like we have to stop being the Southeastern Conference just because we're extending far west because – all we have done is provide a little bit of cur- a little bit of creep compared to where we were before. But the Big Ten, by comparison, I'm paraphrasing here, but how tacky is it? They're going all the way out to L.A. They've got these long road trips. They don't value education anymore. They don't value that. This is all just about money for them. I think that Sankey's mind is in the right place, but I think the execution is the wrong place here. It is fairly obvious that moving forward... The Big Ten is the SEC's enemy and that there is only so much resource out there. This is not one of those things where it's uh, – these are not competitors. These are not you know opponents. These are outright enemies because there is a race to survive in college athletics and not every league is going to survive. You can certainly point to certain issues with the ACC where you know schools have made it be known they'd love to find an exit ramp if they could. In the Pac-12 or Washington State this week has said they've suspended – economic activity for the athletic department right now until they figure out how much you know reduction their overall payment from the pac-12 is is going to be that there is a fight to survive going on right now where the sec and the big 10 have clearly distanced themselves from everybody else but within those confines there's also a fight to distance itself from each other sec versus big 10 right now the big 10 is bigger business part of the reason why it's bigger business because they just have bigger schools and bigger alumni bases in some respects and bringing the two LA schools an example of that so Sankey kind of taking the veiled shot at the Big Ten I think his mind's in the right place but I do believe the attacks on the Big Ten and I use that with air quotes I don't mean actual attacks but I think the the outright you know recognition and acknowledgement that that you are in a real fight for your life against the Big Ten I think it's gonna have to get less passive-aggressive and it's going forward and become a lot more overt kind of pointing out the fact that you know the Big Ten may have more money, but the SEC's got more success. And that when schools like Ohio State this year, Michigan the previous year, when they go head-to-head against a team like Georgia, they don't win. And bragging more about that and pointing out just how true that really is, we may need to see, see more of that. Because right now the SEC's aligned itself with the ESPN-ABC family of networks. The Big Ten's got Fox and CBS and NBC and – These are two very different leagues. It's not just different philosophies on football. Sometimes it's sort of different ways of lives between the states themselves. And so what we see here from Greg Sankey, I think we need to see more of this moving forward. I think it may need to be more, more overt there as well that, hey, you know, your rivals within the SEC, that's your competition, but your actual enemy is the league that's trying to take food off your table. SEC versus Big Ten, get ready for a lot more of that in The years to come, let me also give you this for a brief moment there as well. There was a very strange story to espn.com. Now it's about a week old, I only saw it today, uh, but it's Alex Scarborough. And it's like, how many like profiles in courage are is ESPN going to do about Nick Saban? They have profiled this coach 9,000 times, they do it every month, it seems like. This time, the nature of the story is the fact that, uh Nick Saban has finally figured out NIL and they're of of revisit a year ago the battle that Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban waged over you know what Saban said was Jimbo Fisher buying his entire recruiting class and Nick Saban basically called or I should say Jimbo Fisher basically called Nick Saban out for being a hypocrite there on that we all remember that last summer it's a very big deal well a year later the way this story's being spun is is that when Nick Saban went public with all of this it was actually a challenge to his to his donors and his fans to get serious about NIL and realize the current landscape they were playing in. And Saban may have been a little slow to understand all of this, but eventually he got on board, and now he's trying to lead Alabama towards the future. What drives me crazy about stories like this, these fawning profiles that ESPN constantly does for Nick Saban, if you wonder why Saban is interviewed by ESPN so much, it's because of favorable coverage like this. That's almost always uh, the offshoot of all of that. But nonetheless, what drives me crazy about all of this is is that there are certain facts omitted from evidence here. You know, the idea, first of all, that, that Alabama's kind of painted as an underdog because it has less NIL to spend than some other programs. Miami, Texas A&M get cited. But the facts that don't seem to get entered into evidence here is is that while A&M had a huge recruiting class in the 2022 cycle, the 2023 cycle wasn't quite as successful for them, that that whatever monetary advantage they had seemed to have been a little short-lived. And if you look at the current recruiting rankings now for Miami, who was a big spender in the previous uh, recruiting cycle, that those checks aren't cashing quite the same level right now. So first of all that's one of those things that seem to get ignored but maybe more importantly than that you know Nick Saban is sort of painted as a guy who had no NIL advantages and has had to kind of figure out a way to kind of build up the Alabama program around them. they've got a new collective in place at Alabama replacing a previous collective that I guess wasn't very successful but no one ever seems to remember that when NIL first got started, Saban was in the state of Texas speaking to Booster Club there, or Coach's Convention, whatever it was, bragging about the fact they were paying Bryce Young a million dollars. (laughs) So Saban's one of these guys that loves to sort of have it both ways. You know, he does that even now. At one point in time, Saban was all about the nine-game SEC conference schedule, but now that it seems like that's about what the SEC might do, now all of a sudden Saban's whining about having to play LSU, Tennessee, and Auburn each and every year, even though they've always played. Tennessee, Alabama, and LSU each and every – or I should say Auburn and LSU each and every year. They've always done that. All of a sudden now Saban doesn't like it anymore. Saban just has a lot of comfort arguing both sides of an issue and being completely hypocritical and opposite uh, and, and in sharp contrast to his previous comments whenever it suits him. So Saban now in ESPN.com is portrayed as this crusader of trying to catch up and fight against these nil bullies that have more money than he did But when things first got started, Saban was more than happy to kind of brag and act like he had more NIL resources available to his program than anybody else did. That, you know, Saban's relationship with the truth seems to be somewhat casual at times. And he seems to be very comfortable arguing on both sides of an issue. Uh, But there'll never be any shortage of uh, media folks who kind of help him tell the story that he wants to portray. Maybe the latest example of that coming from ESPN. We will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of royal caribbean all right full confession here just for a moment before we wrap up today's show next week one of the really fun things we're going to do is we're going to kind of have a little bit of a theme now not the beginning of the show we're going to kind of do a traditional beginning to our show next week but with some of our guests like mike griffith and jeff centel and some of the things that i'm doing for our sec through and things like that we're going to kind of focus in on a lot of bold predictions. We're just kind of getting to that time of year where it's time to start kind of going on the record a little bit about some of the stuff that you think might happen here this season. So, next week, we're going to do some of that as it relates to bold predictions. So, I invited you to share your bold predictions with me, and I got so many good ones, and I've wanted to kind of make that a part of what we do next week. Admittedly, though, you know we've kind of bitten off a lot here on this because i've shared a lot of them in some of the shows we pre-recorded and i still have not quite gotten everything in so between today and tomorrow i think tomorrow we may do some of this as it relates to our rs andrews cool down which i'm really excited about doing but we're going to kind of share some other bold predictions that you sent in to me for georgia here this year as a way of previewing a lot of what I'm going to do, Jeff Sintel's going to do, Mike Griffith's going to do, you know, Connor Riley did that with us when he joined us on Tuesday. Next week, we're just going to kind of do a little bit of a bold prediction theme. And some of that's going to include what you share with me as your own bold predictions for Georgia for this upcoming season. So let me do this, Michael, if you don't mind, can I just see one more page of these bold predictions for right now? We'll do more of these tomorrow to kind of finish this up. But here's like one more really good page of Twitter responses I got from you with your bold predictions for the upcoming season so some of these are very ambitious including Carlos Folsom who says the Georgia defense going to have at least five shutouts and Carson Beck if he stays healthy he's going to pass for 4,500 yards and 40 touchdowns so there you go uh, Georgia's gonna win every game by hundred points. I guess if that's the case, if nobody's scoring and backs throwing for forty touchdowns, obviously you're in a pretty good spot there if you're Georgia. So that's the kind of fun thing we hear uh, this time of uh, year there on that. Go Sikkim writes in to say that Georgia's gonna go fifteen and zero again. You love that. Go for three and twenty three d-dog 01 kind of says the same thing undefeated three peat national champions he says go uh, freaking dogs there on that so he's feeling very good about that Kersey stone writes in to say he says i will once again fall victim to the idea that georgia will have a thousand yard receiver this year so Kersey kind of playing the other side of this of, hey we've kind of promised the notion of a thousand yard receiver before it hasn't quite come true sounds like Kersey's still a little skeptical of that occurring here this year so we'll have to see on that louisiana dogs though Feels completely different saying George going to have two thousand yard pass catchers because our running backs are banged up again. So, a little concerned about that. He says leaning on that passing game a little bit more would be interesting to think about who those two might be. Maybe at least one idea for me on that next week. Uh, Hollis McCall says there's no bolder prediction than saying that George will be the back to back to back national champions. Hollis, that's very good. Dave Anthony predicts that Mikhail Williams going to have uh, 20 sacks. That's a lot of fun to think about. Um. Uh, uh. mick the stick six says i'm a negative nancy but i think someone might jump up and get him this year uh in other words losing a regular season game kirby smart's definitely on guard about that right now obviously anything is possible and george is trying to make sure they are more than ready for the grind of a long 12 game schedule where you saw it last year with missouri somebody can kind of sneak up on you when you least expect it so being ready for every game every time obviously very important for uga Schaefer says they will not trail in the fourth quarter of any of their 15 games. So a we'll march towards a third straight national championship, Schaefer predicts, which is a lot of fun. Tucker Harris predicts Dominic Lovett to go over a thousand yard receiving here this year. Jay Craig, we got a couple of these. Jay Craig predicts an eight and four season. Now, my guess is, is that Jay doesn't actually think that Georgia is going to go eight and four. Uh, my guess is is that Jay, because I got somebody said seven and five there too. My guess is this is a little bit of a play on the famous Nolan Smith deal of predicting Georgia to be eight and four, seven and five, as a way of providing the proper motivation. So Jay says I'll step up and I'll be the new Nolan Smith this year, telling you that he thinks that george is going to go eight and four so jay using a little bit of a subliminal motivational tactic there that's pretty fun uh coach chad says the offense is going to average 50 to 52 points per game the defense is going to allow six to uh six and a half to nine points per game once again if that be the case then george is marching its way to a very easy season which may maybe it happens that way chris dixon also says georgia going 15 and 0 there as well so we've gotten a lot of those we'll share some more fun ones with you on that next week uh it's just going to be a great time to kind of do some bold predictions lay the groundwork for exactly what we think may play out for georgia here this year and i haven't quite been able to get all the great ones that i got as part of next week's pre-recorded shows so i'm gonna try to sneak in some today and then tomorrow and then uh have some fun with you on all of that as we do that next week with that said let's wrap up today's show great golden shoe today we are dog nation shares this uh it's a new season coming on netflix of kirby's we hunt three-peat season 100 days will kick off which by the way that it is 100 days to kick off kirby got the uh hunting fatigues on right there rifle in hand or is that a bow i can't tell uh either way he's uh he's ready to go for hunting season for these dogs and i love that for kirby smart and the georgia bulldogs that is great stuff. So, by the way speaking of 100 days will kick off we got a great new series starting on our dog nation social channels there as well you're gonna love part of our 100 day countdown there too i think you're gonna really like that looking back at some of the really fun moments from the very recent past can't wait to share that with you on our dog nation social channels there as well but congratulations we are dog nation fun golden shoe winner there today we'll have a good collection of shoes again tomorrow kind of wrap up our week and lousy stinking gators, well, they're going to be wrapping things up in not quite such a glorious fashion. 156 days from right now, that is our Gator Hater Countdown. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp.